be doing something just a little bit different today because I'm carrying on this series that I began a few weeks ago and it landed on Christmas on purpose. And this series was called, Oh My God. It was called, Oh My God, not, Oh My God, which is something completely different. And I've been trying to take these phrases that people use that have this ability to declare and the majesty and the immensity of God and trying to redeem these and reclaim them. And so for each week, there was different expressions. You know, oh my God, uh, oh for heaven's sake, oh man, oh man, oh good Lord. And we've been looking at these things and we've been kind of doing a deep dive into some, some, some heavy themes. We looked at, you know, uh, astrophysics and anthropology and paleontology and, and genetic biology and theology. And what I did in my inimitable style is I oversimplified every one of them so that I could understand it. <laughs> and so hopefully some of you did as well. And I had this guy come up to me, uh, big beard, ponytail, long hair, big kind of biker looking guy. And he says to me, Pastor, I just want you to know something. I tell all my friends to come and hear you. You know why I want them to hear you? I said, no, why? He says, because you're just so simple. <laughs> okay, usually you don't take that as a compliment when someone calls you simple, but in this case, I will take it. And so for this Christmas, my message is entitled, Oh, for the Love of God. And if you think about it, that's an appropriate title. Now, I know how you might use that expression, oh, for the love of God, but we use it because that's what Christmas is all about, right? What is our most famous of all scriptures? What, John 3, 16. And it says, what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this is really all about Christmas. And our theme verse that I've been using through this series, oh my God, is from Psalm 2, verse, sorry, Psalm 8, verse 2. And of course, it's our, our, our in our story, it's, it's David, who he was a shepherd. And don't miss the connection between Christmas and shepherds, because he was a shepherd. And of course, the story goes like this. He was, we think, looking at the stars one night, looking at the night sky, lying out in the hills, tending the sheep. And this is what came out of his mouth. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the stars and the moon which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? And so we've already talked about the first part. We've talked about the heavens and the stars and we've talked about the moon. And uh, we of course know there's another reference to Christmas there because what was it that led the wise men to Bethlehem? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a star. Uh, but there's more to it than this, because the last part of this, see, here's what David does. He asks two rhetorical questions. The first thing he does is he says this, what is man that you are mindful of? One question. Second question, or the son of man that you visit him? Now in English, those sound like two references to man, but they're actually quite different. The first one where he says, what is man? The word there is the Hebrew word enos. And enos refers to an individual person. It's neither male nor female, but it's not talking about mankind, it's talking about an individual person. What is man, what is the individual that you are mindful? You've built all this universe, you've named every star and given it a name, and yet you are mindful of every individual. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, that God cares so much for each and every one of us. So that's the first part of it, but the second part is quite a bit different. And he says, or the son of man that you visit him. And the son of man there is Ben Adam, which in the Hebrew is son of Adam. 
And the word Adam doesn't mean individual, it doesn't mean Adam, the, the husband of Eve, and it doesn't mean individual person, it actually is a reference to mankind. So he says the mankind or humanity. And so that's the picture we're gonna be sort of delving into, that we have Jesus who comes as the son of man. Isn't that what he calls himself? Isn't that his elected term? He all the way through, he's, he's pressing this in again and again and again that he is the son of man. He wants us to be clear about that. Now, he does reveal himself as the son of God. And we'll talk about both of those in a minute. But the essence of it is this, or the son of man that you visit him. And see, here's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the visitation. It's all about God coming from heaven and visiting man and redeeming or solving all of man's problems. So Jesus comes, he, is a, he appears as Emmanuel, the son of God. He appears in the earth and he spends three and a half years and people, many people know, figure out who he is. I mean, he's doing miracles. He's declaring the kingdom of God. He's declaring uh, and talking about heaven and how to get to heaven. And there were some people following him. But at the same time, there was places like Jerusalem that were completely oblivious to his presence. And in Luke 19, the end of his ministry, there's this great moment of disappointment. He's walking towards Jerusalem and he begins to weep over the city. And he says this, he says, you don't know that your enemies will come upon you and they will destroy you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And of course, it was Jerusalem that where they crucified him. It was Jerusalem where they said, crucify him, crucify him. And they did not know the time of their visitation. I want to fast forward 2,000 years. Here we are in what I would call a post-Christian culture. And would you not agree that people today do not know the time of their visitation? They don't seem to know or remember what Christmas is all about. I bet every single one of you in this room went to a Christmas party of one sort or another. Maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe a family one, and I bet you you went to at least one of those parties where Christmas was not even mentioned. And in fact, they don't even call it Christmas anymore. They call it Happy Holidays, and they call them holiday parties. And you get cards from the bank that say, have a happy holiday. And people won't, won't even say it. I'm, they, we won't even say the word Christmas anymore. You know, for years and years, we actually hosted some of the local Christmas concerts right in this building from the schools. But we got really tired of it. I mean, COVID came and ended all that. But we did get kind of tired of it because they didn't call it, they call it Christmas concerts. They didn't even mention Christmas, let alone Christ. They call it holiday uh, concerts. And they didn't come close to even singing a Christmas carol. Meanwhile, they were mentioning other faces, faiths, 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 faiths and religions and neglecting the whole point. I mean, Christmas is the single biggest holiday of any other, all of them put together. There's nothing that compares to Christmas. And yet we got so tired of hearing another rendition of Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and here comes Santa Claus. And I thought to myself, this is a place of worship not Santa's musical workshop. And I thought, you know, this is not, not what we should be doing with this whole thing. So I, got, I sometimes get a little distressed. I don't want to overwork this, but you know that we have taken, in our culture, we have taken Christ out of Christmas. And I read this thing this week. I didn't know if it was true or not, so I went and investigated it. And this, this person writing this article said that you can now buy nativity scenes without the infant, without the Christ. And I thought, 
Why, why would you want it without the infant? I mean, what would they be surrounding looking at if there's no infant? So I didn't know if it was true or not, so I went online and I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I got good news to report. I did not find any nativity scenes without a baby or infant or Christ in. So that's the good news. The bad news is I found the weirdest nativity scenes you have ever seen. And I'm gonna show you just a couple of them. This is my favorite though. It's the hipster nativity scene. <laughs> So the wise men have, have, have arrived on their, on their segways with their, their Amazon box, everybody's on their phone, the cow is 100% organic. But that's not the weirdest one I found. This was the weirdest one I found. This one, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are Mary and Joseph. The wise men are Prince Harry, Donald Trump, and Simon Cowell. I'm not sure those three guys would ever be in a room together. And I think, you know what? People have way too much time on their hands, don't they? But I don't know if you know this. This is the first year ever that in Ottawa, our nation's capital, there will not be a nativity scene. Not for any religious reasons. They literally could not find three wise men in the whole city. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that, my friends, is a true story. <laughs> and I was thinking about what Dave Barry used to say. Anybody know who Dave Barry, the humorous, it was or is? He, he wrote for many years. I guess I'm his fan. He, he wrote for the Miami Herald. He's a very funny guy. And he said that it, Christmas is a deeply religious time that everybody celebrates in their own way by shopping at the mall of their choice. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good description of what Christmas has become. And I started thinking about it, and his whole description kind of described my life growing up. We had these Christmases that were just absolutely off the chain. They were so off the charts, they were so ridiculous. Now one of, the, but they were still very religious and I'll explain it to you. See, see one of the things that happened in my family was my grandmother, uh, back in those days, they called it manic depressive. Today they call it bipolar. And, it, and it's not a funny thing, but she was manic depressive. And so Christmas, was different depending on whether grandma was manic or depressed. Because when she was manic, she was through the roof, and when she was in depression, she was in the depths of despair. So if Christmas came around during a manic season, she would buy more presents than you could shake a stick at. I'm talking thousands of dollars of gifts and show up in her station wagon with load after load. I remember one Christmas, honest to goodness true, there were so many gifts under the tree that they were piled up behind the tree right up to the ceiling in our living room. And I was bringing my friends over to show them and say, look at this. And my mother said, why are you bringing your friends over here? This is embarrassing. I said, embarrassing? This is like a crowning achievement. And I couldn't understand my mother's embarrassment about this. And so if that was a, a manic Christmas, now if my grandmother at, at was depressed on a particular Christmas, well, we got squat. And so every Christmas during Advent season, all of a sudden, us kids all became super religious. And we prayed fervently and we said, oh dear God, make grandma manic this Christmas. Please, please, please make her manic. Please, please, please. And, and, uh, and you know what, I mean, it didn't matter. Our Christmases were crazy no matter what. I mean, my dad drank too much, my mother shopped too much, spent too much, 
make too made too much food. And the kids, we were just a bunch of orangutans, or really more like wild pack of dogs is more like it. I mean, I had twin sisters, one of them here's tonight, and then there was four brothers. Now, the interesting thing about the four brothers is my parents all gave us biblical names. We were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Satan. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I never had a brother named Luke. And, <laughs> But we were, we were a pretty wild bunch. And I remember we were having a particularly manic Christmas one year. And uh, we had the, the presents up to the whole ceiling. And my mother just said, no, we've had it. That's enough of this. This is what we're doing this Christmas. Before we open these gifts, we are all going to church. No gift is getting opened until we've all gone to church. So we got into the station wagon. And off we went to church. We went to the early service. And everybody was just cranked up by the time we were getting back. I mean, we couldn't wait to get into that living room and start tearing things apart. And I was so excited, I jumped out of the car, and I quickly slammed it as hard as I could, catching my brother's head in the door. I caught my brother's head. Not my, not my brother Satan, my other one. And, and, and caught him right, right in the head. And, uh, and of course, he had a concussion all day long. He spent all day vomiting. Nobody even noticed. They figured he just had too much candy for breakfast, right? <laughs> and so our, our, our Christmases were just completely completely insane like this. And so then when I got married and we started having kids, uh, we decided, I think we overcompensated, frankly. I think we swung the other way. Kathy's a minimalist to begin with, so we had minimal decorations and minimal gifts and minimal food, and we just did everything minimal. And, and me being the you know, hyper-religious guy I am, I decided that I was raising my kids without Santa. So I told my kids that Santa was not real and he was all made up. Our youngest daughter, Danica, whom you know and love, decided to take it on as her personal mission to ruin every other kid's Christmas. <laughs> and she, and of course, all the parents were mad at us because she was going to school and saying, the whole thing's a fake. It's one giant fraud, I'm telling you. It's all made up, my dad told me. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with her because she was kind of doing my bidding. And I probably told you this story before, and it's absolutely true. Uh, she's about maybe five years old. I'm in Safeway with her, and the cashier, a very sweet lady, looks down to her and said, are you excited about Santa coming? To which my daughter went like this, he's not coming. And so then she doubles down and she says, surely you've been a good girl, and Santa's coming. She says, he's not coming, Santa's dead. <laughs> And so then she looks at me like I'm the worst parent ever, which, which, I'm, which I might actually be. And so, so I just shrug my shoulders like, I don't know where she's getting that. <laughs> Must have heard from some kid at school. You know, what do I know? Anyway, enough fun around. Let's get down to business. So, so I have two questions that I want to dig into today, and here they are. Number one is, why did Jesus need to come as the Son of Man? And number two, why did Jesus need to come as the Son of God? And the, the first question is, why did he come as the Son of Man? Why did he continually call himself the Son of Man? Why was that so? What, what is the meaning behind that? And uh, here's the explanation for it, and it's really important, so I'll try to rip through it, try to follow as closely as you can. So you look at the story of creation. We have God created the heaven and the earth at the very beginning. And then in verse 26, 27, 28, he creates man, he puts man in the midst of the garden, and he says to man this, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and, uh, uh, what's the word? 
Fill the earth in. Subdue it. There it is. Thank you. Subdue it. Have dominion over it, over all the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that creeps upon the earth. So in other words, he creates the earth. He puts man in the middle of it, and he gives all authority in the earth to man. The earth has now become man's, and I don't want you to miss that. And you go into Psalm 115, this is what it says. The heavens, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So then what happens is the serpent comes along and deceives them or tries to deceive them and says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so he's lying to them. Now here's what we don't understand, or we miss in this story, that they had authority over the serpent. They could have told him to take a hike. At the very least, they could have kicked him out of the garden, right? Because everything that creeps upon the earth, and Satan is a creep, trust me on this. They could have punted him to Pluto. I don't know, is Pluto still a planet? Should be. But anyway, they didn't. They sat there, they listened. And so essentially, follow this with me. God makes the earth. He gives it to man. Man obeys Satan and gives it to Satan. And that's why the scripture refers to Satan as the ruler of this world, the God of this age. It belongs to him. And if you don't believe that, think about the, the Mount of Temptation. Jesus is on the Mount of Temptation. And Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you bow down to me, all these kingdoms I will give on to you. Was that true? It's probably not true that he was going to give them to him. But is it true that they were his to give? And the answer is yes. It wouldn't have been a true temptation if it weren't actually true that he had and possessed. And that was the very reason that Jesus was here. Jesus had come to earth for the very explicit reason to destroy the works of the devil. He had come, his visitation was to get the earth back for man. And that's the essence of this story. See, man couldn't do it. You say, why couldn't man do it? Well, look at this verse, Isaiah 59. He saw that there was no man. He wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. Here was the problem. Every single man, every one of us was under domination to the devil. And so there was no man. There was no intercessor. There was no one that could do this. So he had to send his own arm. He had to send his son. And it had to be, don't miss this, it had to be a man to do it, a human to do it. Because if God went and snatched it back from him, then he would be defying his own word. You see this, don't you? If he gave it away and then man gave that away, God can't go and take that back. So man was going to have to grasp it back. And so that's why Jesus was so emphatic that he had come as the son of man. And there's something really important in this story too, because there's a certain identification that comes. See, we can't, can't relate to God on a lot of levels. But when Jesus became a man, here's how the scripture puts it, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, or in other words, God became humanity. There's this interesting story about this farmer and his family. It's Christmas Eve. And uh, his family goes off to church on Christmas Eve like they always do. And like he doesn't do, he doesn't go. So he says, not going, don't believe, not going. So he, he stays home. This winter storm blows up just shortly after they've left. And the snow is blowing everywhere. And all of a sudden he hears this thump on the wall of his house and another thump and another thump. And he doesn't know what's going on. And he goes out the door and this flock of Canada geese are disoriented in the storm and they're flying directly into his home. 
And so he has this compassion. He's, he's a, he keeps flocks of his own. So he has this compassion to do something for these Canada geese. So he goes up and he's trying to round them up and he's trying, opens the barn doors and he's trying to get them into the barn so they'll be safe, not kill himself, running into the house and they, and they won't go. And then he has this idea and he thinks to himself, I know what to do. And, and he's actually a, a goose farmer himself. So he goes into the barn and he grabs one of his own geese, a domestic goose, and he brings it out and he throws it right in the middle of the flock. His goose goes bolting right back into the barn and all the other geese follow him behind them. They're now in the barn safe. So he goes in his house thinking all you know, proud of himself and how you know, ingenious he was. And all of a sudden this thought, this epiphany jumped into his mind that this was exactly the reason God sent his son into the earth. That man wouldn't follow after God, so he sent his own son in a visitation, and they followed. And he knew what he had to do. And he got in his car, into his truck, and he drove down to church, and he found his wife in the pew, and he went and sat right beside her. And she turned to him and said, what are you doing here? To which he said, the geese made me come. <laughs> I guess he was going to explain that to her later. And, uh, you know, I was, if geese were flying into my house, I'm just going to be honest with you. Geese were flying into my house, I would solve that problem with the 12-gauge. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't love the geese. How many, how many like the geese? You like the geese we have in the city. Now, you like the geese? You like the geese? How many are not so fond of them? You know what I think these geese are? You know, when I grew up, there was no geese in Winnipeg. You had to go out in the country somewhere to find geese. My dad used to go hunting. That's what he used to do. Now they come to you, and they come and they live in our parking lot on concrete and live in a puddle. And I'm thinking, you know what this is? An alien invasion. This is a lower life form that has invaded our city by the thousands and thousands, and they're trying to take domination over us, and we don't realize it. They're taking over, they walk in front of your car in the street and backing up traffic for miles and crippling the economy. They're trying to take over. And, and the only reason they're not here right now is because it's winter and they've gone back to the spacecraft for, for the winter. But they'll be back in the spring and they'll be living in our parking lot again by the hundreds and they will be pooping like there's no tomorrow. And, and you will be walking over this poop like this because the average goo goose drops two pounds of poop every day. Do you know that the average goose poops every 12 minutes? These are poop machines. That's the they're, they're alien creatures, I'm sorry. Am I off track here a little bit? Maybe. Maybe, I might be onto something else. <laughs> Some people say, no, no, carry on with it. The goose story is a good one. So, so the first thing is this, why, why did Jesus need to come as the son of man? The second question is, why did he need to come as the son of God? Now, here's an interesting part of this story, is that that when it comes to humanity and the sinful nature of man, a lot of people don't know the mystery of this, is that our sin nature that we inherited it from Adam, we don't actually get it through our mothers, it comes from our father. You say, what? Well, the scripture says this, that the sins of the father are visited down onto the children onto the third and the fourth generation. And, and so whenever I tell people this, you know the sin nature comes from your father. All the mothers in the room go, I knew little Johnny's problem was, <laughs> I knew it was Frank. I knew all along it was Frank. I knew I couldn't have produced a kid so, so bratty. And uh, <laughs> so all the women, you can pat yourself in the back for a moment. But, but that's, why, that's why the virgin birth is so important. Because Jesus was born of a woman, so that makes him a human. But his father was not Joseph. 
Uh, he, she was overcome, Mary was overcome by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and his father was, was God in heaven. Therefore, he did not possess the sin nature like every one of us. And this makes all the difference in the world. Because what he did was he came as a sinless man, and now he could die for your sin. See, here's the problem. If any other person had tried to die for our sin, you know, Jesus wasn't the first person in history crucified. You know that. That was a common occurrence. But they were dying for their own sin. And if Jesus had sin in his life, if he had a sin nature, he could only die for his own sin. But because he was a sinless man, then he could die for your sin. And that was the reason he was born, was to die and to take your sin from you. And for, for the love of God, that's why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, that you might be the righteousness of God in him. See, every one of us are sinners. You can think you're pretty good, you're not that great. Because all of sin falls short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus came to take the punishment for you, and only God could have done that. That's why he was the son of God. So here's a, sort of an interesting story for you. Uh, there was a uh, native North American tribe, and the chief was a man of great principle, and there was a problem in the tribe because there was a thief in their midst, and every night or two, this thief was stealing property that did not belong to them. And so the chief said, we're gonna find this person, and we're gonna punish this person, and they will receive 20 lashes publicly, and I want you to tell me who this person is. Well, nobody would say who it was. He was pretty sure people must know who this thief was. It's not that big of a community. So anyway, when no one came forward, he said, okay. And he told two of his men, he said, we're gonna set a trap. And he set out some goods. He said, I want you to stay up all night and I want you to watch. And I want you to capture this person. And in the morning, we're gonna execute the judgment on this person. So in the morning, he got up and he said, have you found the thief, bring him out. They went into the teepee and brought out the thief and it wasn't a man at all. It was the chief's own mother. So now he has a dilemma. All the people in the tribe said, is he gonna be a man of principle and is he gonna execute justice? Or is his love for his mother going to put him in the place where he's gonna let her off the hook? They all watched to see. And he, they watched as she got strapped to the blocks or whatever it was, and her back was bared and the whip came out and just before the first lash went out, the chief said, stop! And they all went, we knew it. We knew he couldn't execute judgment on his own mother. His love for his mother has overcome him. And then he took off his own garment and he went and wrapped his body over his mother's body and said, continue. And the 20 lashes came down on the chief's back as he bore the punishment for the one he loved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And what did Peter say, 1 Peter 2.24? By, well, let's start at the beginning. He says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. Jesus took the punishment for you so you wouldn't have to bear it. So that's why it was the Son of Man. That's why it was, he was the Son of God. I said I would, I would circle around and we're gonna talk about the moon. We talked about the stars, the wise men followed the stars. You say, what's the moon got to do with this story? I'll tell you. Some of you remember, some of you aren't old enough, but in 1961, 
Uh, John Kennedy became the president of the United States. They were in a space race with the Russians, and he determined they were going to win it. And so he said, we're going to be the first nation in the world to put a man on the moon. And so they started what we know as the Apollo mission. And every few months, they set up another craft and got closer to the moon, orbiting the moon. And then when the first orbit of the moon happened, uh, there was, uh, it was Apollo 8. And there was these three astronauts. I'll show you a picture of them. It was Frank Borman. It was James Lovell. And it was William Anders. And these three men were in orbit. And it was Christmas Eve, 1968. And they had a live broadcast from the lunar capsule. And uh, they beamed it to the Earth. A billion people tuned in and listened to it live. And this is what they said. They had said, we have just passed lunar sunrise. And we have a message for the people of the Earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And they continued on and read all 10 verses, first 10 verses of the book of Genesis. And then they concluded and said, from the crew of Apollo 8 to the people of the earth, we say, good night, good luck, Merry Christmas, and God bless you all. Nations around the world saw it, heard it, and they applauded it and commended it. They called it brilliant. They called it genius. They felt that it had a very ecumenical and multi-faith nature to it because they didn't just talk about Christ. They talked about creation. It all fit together beautifully. These three men ended up on the cover of Time magazine as the men of the year. Uh, people around the world were celebrating. The Arab country of Yemen came out with commemorative stamps with these men's image on them. Everybody was excited except for one. Well, let me put it this way. Frank Borman received 100,000 letters of congratulations for what he had done that Christmas Eve, and only 34 of them were critical. But there was one person, some of you remember this name, Ma Madeline Murray O'Hare, and she was uh, the founder of the American Atheist. And she became later known as the most hated woman in America because this is what she did. She sued NASA for failing to separate church and state. And she took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And you're going to love the ending of this story. The Supreme Court threw it out saying, the incident took place outside of our jurisdiction. <laughs> The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So now what happens is we have seven months later, got one more ending to this story. Seven months later, we have Apollo 11. Apollo 11 is the one with Neil Armstrong on it. It actually lands on the moon. It was July 20th, 1969. If you're my age, you will remember this. I was 11 years old, and I sat in the living room, and I watched the live broadcast. And, and Neil Armstrong got off of that craft. You remember this. And he set foot on the moon, and out of his mouth came these favorite, famous words. One small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Don't miss the reference 
to man and mankind in that little picture. But here's the part almost nobody knows. The second man off the lunar module was Buzz Aldrin. Pretty sure that's where he, we got the name Buzz Lightyear, just saying. And anyway, 19 minutes later, he gets off and he goes and meets Neil Armstrong. And it's recorded, it's in the archives, and out of Buzz Aldrin's mouth comes these words. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the stars and the moon which you have ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him. He quotes David's words from Psalm 8. And let me tell you a little story about this. In the history of the Apollo missions, there was 29 astronauts, 29 Apollo astronauts. Out of the 29, you know how many were Christians or became Christians? 29. Every last one of these men became Christians because they said when they left the atmosphere and when they got out into outer space and they saw the creation with their own eyes, they were compelled to give their lives to Christ. They said it was an absolutely overcoming spiritual experience. Oh, for the love of God, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the reason for the season, and wise men still seek him today. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's stand together. I want to ask you to do me a favor. Every head bowed, every eye closed, because I know in this room, the worship team's coming back. We have one more song, like I told you. So I know in a room this size there are people and people online that have never invited Christ into their life to be your Lord and Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. Nobody's looking around. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. But if you're here today and you've never had that definitive moment where you've recognized the time of your visitation and invited Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, it is a life-changing experience and it's the most important thing you can do. He's already done the hard part. He's already died on the cross for your sin. The only thing left for you is to invite Jesus into your life. And if you're online, you just hit the little hand button that comes up on the screen. But if you're in the room, I want to ask you to do me a favor. And if this is you and you'd like to make this decision, and seriously, nobody's looking around, I want you to just slip up your hand so I can see it. I won't call you for it, won't single you out. Just take a moment, thank you. There's hands popping up in the room. I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. Anybody else wanna join these people? I know there's others in this room and you knew in the past and you've slipped away. Maybe you'd like to come back. Would you raise your hand with these folks? All right, great, thanks. Just one last opportunity. Anybody else wanna join these folks? Okay, you can all put your hands down. So we said we wouldn't single anybody out, so we're all gonna to pray together. So let's all do this. Lord Jesus, I confess I've been a sinner. It's true. Walking in my own way, doing my own thing, and missed the time of my visitation. But today I change that because I accept you died on the cross for my sin. And on the third day you rose again. And you washed my sin away. And you've made me a child of God. And so I invite you into my life as my Lord, as my Savior, and as my Master. And today, I'm a Christian. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Let's give the Lord a little shout, shall we?